again, if I may, yeah, uh, yeah, in sure. chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, and chapter 2, verse 1. I am he who lives, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden the seven stars are the angels or the pastors or messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Chapter two, verse one. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So we've got here the thoughts of seven stars and seven lampstands. And the Lord says, I know I'm in the midst. I'm sovereign Lord over all that I survey. I can see all the leadership of these seven churches and I can see these seven churches and I walk among them. I know I'm there. That can go from the church here, Ephesus, eventually in the second generation they lost their first love. Right through to the seventh church, Laodicea, the apostate church, and the Lord says, I'll spew it out of my mouth. So he's there in charge, sovereign Lord, head of the church, and he knows all that's going on. Now these seven churches, you've got a list of them there on the sheet that I gave you on page six of the series on Revelation. And these seven churches actually existed. They were all fairly close together, within a reasonable travelling distance anyway, in Asia Minor, what, what is now called Turkey, of course. So all these churches had this copy of what we have here given to that what, second or third generation of church people. And they all knew about each other. How would you like that? Different churches all know about each other. And they all revealed it. Now you've got here on the sheet the way in which these seven churches can be interpreted. Now these are actual churches that existed there in Asia Minor, now Turkey. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, the seven. You all knew about each other. Some good, some discouraging. But also, these seven churches, though they existed historically, they also have a prophetic message, because this is part of the book of Revelation. It has a prophetic prophetic element attached to it. Now, you can see that in your notes here on page 6, that these not only are historical, but they have a prophetic meaning and content as well, which we'll go through if you like to. And really they are types of the church of the whole church age, beginning with the first church which was on fire, to the last one which is apostle. I really degeneration, say over 2,000 years. Now if you look at the seven there, Ephesus is on a coastline. It covers the apostolic period. That's round about the first, up to the first century from the beginning of the church. And you can see here, well, we haven't read the verses related to Ephesus, but you know it anyway. It's the church really that was going into decay. It was cooling off, lost the fire, and was going cold. And the Lord commented about it. He wasn't very pleased either. The Smyrna, the second one, comes after the word myrrh or suffering. And they were a suffering church. And this church had satanic opposition. It had persecution and real poverty as well. And it's covered about from the middle of the first century under Roman emperors and their horrible treatment of Christians especially. From the mid-first century to the time of Constantine and the way that he supposedly became a Christian, 
He said he won the Battle of Milvern Bridge against his enemies and he saw a cross in the sky. So he said, and that converted him. Well, that doesn't convert anybody's sign. But there are no question marks about that, of course. But uh, in 313 AD, he came to the point where he linked up Christianity, shall we say, with the Roman Empire. And became a holy Roman Empire. And uh, then persecution stopped. And the world got into the church. And we'll go more about that a bit later on. So the suffering church there continued right through to the end of the Emperor Diocletian's reign, who was a nasty bit of work as an emperor. Then you've got the third one there, Pergamos. Now that, from the word gamos, means marriage, or marriage too. And it was the link and the marriage between the church and the state after Constantine, and right through to the 6th century AD as well. And yet, in a sense, the church linked together ought not to be. The Lord didn't want it that way. But that's how it is. Now what happened, let me tell you this, what happened when Constantine said, right, we'll adopt the Christianity into the Roman Empire. What he did, he had all these pagan temples all over the Roman Empire and with their pagan priests in control, paid by the emperor, he said, right, now you all will become Christians overnight and your pagan temples will become churches. Big problem, big, big problem. That's what happened. So unregenerate children were baptised and the world infiltrated, of course, as you can imagine, into that church. And the Lord wasn't very pleased. Pergamos. And out of Pergamos came Satan's seat, which is now in Berlin. Well, more about that when we get to Pergamos. So that was up to, from Constantine up to about the 6th century. Of course, then Islam came in as well in the 7th century. Then you've got Thyatira. Well, that's a picture of the Dark Ages, when the Roman Catholic Church kept the population of the world in the dark. And the word was only in Latin. It wasn't until Wycliffe came, and then Luther, that the word came in English to, as, as Wycliffe said, to the plyboy in the field. And uh, so from the Dark Ages as it began, with the control of Roman Catholic power over the world, generally speaking, and uh, that ended about 1500 AD, when the Reformation, so under Luther and Calvin and Swingley and others as well. So... The Roman Catholic Church kept the people in ignorance of the truth and the Saviour. And salvation had to be their way. So they kept the people in the dark under the power of the Roman Empire and the, well, the Roman Catholicism. And that is when major apostasy really developed from 313 onwards through getting worse now until the time of the Reformation and things changed. So as a result of that, you've got the church aside. You see, this is all in consequence all in order. So you have the dead church in the Dark Ages. Now we have Sardis, which is, in fact, when we read it and study it, it's a dead church. And it was. A dead church had no life at all because the people were kept in the dark, the superstitions and the fear of the Roman Catholic power over the people. That's what happened. So major apostasy really did develop from the age of the... So there's a historical element, there's a prophetic element as well. And see, all these seven churches types exist today as well. We'll come to that in a moment. So it was it as a dead church, that, as it were, new life, new flame began to spark with the Reformation and the translation of the word and the understanding as with Luther, the just so did by his regeneration, justification. And all that was among a dead church. So out of the death and deadness comes new life. Church of Sardis, not a very good picture. The Lord didn't give it any commendation at all. Then you've got a complete change in the church of Philadelphia, the church of 
brothers in love. And this gained from about 1650, I mean the Reformation was about 1500 and something to 1650, as it began to grow in Europe and then came to our country. So from about 1650, when the word was in English, missionaries were formed, missionary societies were formed, and this is a type of the missionary and evangelizing church going out into the world. If we get to it, we see the Lord says, I give you an open door which no man should shut, fulfill the Great Commission. So there was, at that period, new life was coming, there's a flame, the church is getting on, alive again, and there was an open door of the gospel like right up to now. So this Philadelphia church started then, at the end of the Reformation, right through until today. Then comes the sad scene, which again is overlapping to today, the church at Laodicea. This is the final apostasy. The Lord is coming to take his church home out of this, and this church at Laodicea will carry on just the same as if nothing had happened. Unbelieving. They'll be left behind. And that final apostasy, of course, is growing, 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 even today. So, as well as these seven churches existing historically, and as well as having a prophetic element attached to all the seven of them, there is an overlap. Because the church at Ephesus, the church that lost its first love, they also knew an element of suffering under the Roman Empire. Christians thrown to the lions or to the gladiators. And of course, Smyrna, the suffering church, overlapped there, carried on. Church of Pergamos, there were a few believers there, and they suffered as a result of the world getting creeping into the church, as it did. Fire tower, yeah. Oh, there's a lot of people now, even the Roman Catholic Church, keeping the people in the dark under fear and superstition. No salvation truly there. So that's around today, you see. Sardis, a dead church. Well, well look around you. Oh, enough dead churches around today, aren't there? So this overlap, you see, all these things. And Philadelphia, yes, that's, um, that's the evangelism today. That's the true believing evangelical church. Believe in the word of God. And of course, Laodicea. So we see it's an overlap. a historical element of truth there over the years, 2,000 years of church history. And of course, there's the overlap. We've got all these churches all at the same time and around us now. The church had lost its first love. Some began well, then cooling off. Now suffering Christians today, over 200 million Christians suffering persecution today around the world and Far East especially. Well, we know the church and state are doing together. You know that very well, don't we? And the many being kept in the dark from the gospel. The power of the Roman Catholic Church in South America particularly is holding it away from the Yet, at the same time, there's a lot of evangelism going on in South America. And there it is here, well, there we have it. So you've got a prophetic and a historical element to these seven churches. And look what Jesus says. He says in verse 19 of chapter 1, I'll read it, Write the things which you have seen. Now he saw the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him in the early verses of this first chapter. The things which are, that's the seven churches linked in chapter 2 and 3. They existed then. Although John wrote this as the Lord revealed truth to him in AD 96, book to be added to the canon of scripture. The two, chapters 2 and 3, when he says the things which are, these churches. And the things which will take place after this. In other words, a future prophetic element. So you've got chapter 1, what you've seen, John, what I've revealed to you, you've seen me. And he says, the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, the second division. And from chapter 4 onwards, with a glimpse of heaven, and onwards, he said, the things which will be. And right through, indeed, 
to the new earth and new heaven created as we have it in chapter 22. It's a whole span of many centuries. Here we are, 2,000 years on. So we have this prophetic and historic animal. We are the sheep. We know him and he knows us. We hear, we can hear his voice in the word and he hears our prayers. So there's that constancy of believers running right through, even in very hard times. He knows his sheep. They know, our, he knows our prayers. We hear his voice in the word and we follow him. Shows who we are and who we belong to. And Jesus always distinguishes the true from the false. That's very important. He can always distinguish. He sees it all. He knows the true from the make-believe. A lot of hypocrisy in Christendom today. Don't need to say that. But he sees it all. He knows the apostate and where that is as well. Even he said to the church at Laodicea, If any man opens the door, I will come in. Chapter 3 at the end. That's very important. And he will one day separate out the wheat from the tares, from the true, from the false. We have the grain that goes into his garner of heaven, if you like, and the false go into the fire. And he divides it out. Jesus always had that, even in the Gospels. I come to divide people up. I put the sword in there. Even to divide families. Sad to say it does happen. We still pray for our families, of course we do. Now on the sheet, you've got a, if you like, a tabulation of some important issues. You've got the seven churches on the left in the sheet, <coughs> Ephesus down to Laodicea. You've got the headings going along on the top line with a grey background. There's something the Lord said about himself at the beginning of each of the seven churches. He comments on their faithfulness, if they are. But if you go to Laodicea, no comments. But he does comment on their failings, except two. The suffering church... He made no comment about their failings. They were faithful unto death. But he made no comments to some of the other churches where their failings were because he saw it all. As I said, I am walking amongst the candlesticks of seven churches. I know the leadership of those seven churches and the leadership of the seven types that go on to today as well. And he gives warnings and often he says, remember. Like the one in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, that lost its first love, growing cold. He said, remember where you were. In your previous generation, you've lost it. Get back there. Get on fire again. And it's a warning to remember. And warnings and remembrance go together here. But of course, there's a challenge as well. Challenge to walk with the Lord, come what may. And then, of course, as typical with the Lord Jesus, there's a promise of reward. I love you. And that goes at the end, too. But with Laodicea, he gives an adverse comment. An adverse promise. You're going to be in judgment. And that's your reward. So now let's just look at those. You've got them here. And uh, I'm just going to go through them very quickly. We'll take our rest of our time anyway, but it will seem quick. Let's look at the what the Lord says about these seven churches. In the first column, what the Lord says. Now look in verse 1, which we read of chapter 2. You've got the references there. Chapter 2, verse 1. What does the Lord say? I hold the seven stars in my right hand. That's his hand of power and authority, the right hand of God. I walk amongst the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That's the church I'm walking among. I know what's going on. I watch it. I see it. I'm Lord of the church, but some are not mine. And I'm not theirs. Well, that's me. What does the Lord say about himself to the church at Ephesus? Well, go to chapter 2, verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 8. You can see it. I'm going through the first column on the sheet. 
To the angel, a pastor of the church in Smyrna, suffering church, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I was resurrected. And says, those of you who suffer martyrdom, you will be too. Well, that's what happened to me. I was crucified, but I was raised from the dead. And I'm alive forevermore. So it says to the suffering church, you may have to go the way I go, but not for sin, of course. I'd be put to death for your faith. I was dead. Some of you were too. But you're with me now if you were martyred. Go to the next one, the church of Pergamos, the church in the world, if you like, the world in the church. Chapter 2 and verse 12, the next one. Chapter 2 and verse 12. These things says he, as to the Pergamos church, who has the sharp two-edged sword. What is the two-edged sword? Well, Hebrews 4.12. The sword, the word of God, is quick and powerful. Getting down to the getting to the center of their lives, what they really are. He says, I know that. I can read your heart. I can read your mind. I know what all your motives are, he says. I'm there, and I've got a sharp two-edged sword. And he says, I'm going to use it. Jesus, make a mild? Not here. Not here. That's a false representation. He says, I've got a sharp two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. I'm going to use it. I'm going to divide. We look at Thyatira, the two verses there, 19 and 24. Let's go to chapter 2, 19 and 24. What do you say to this church of Thyatira? They are a real mixer here. He says, first of all, in verse 18, Son of God speaking. Now, a lot of this church denied that. So he says, I am God the Son. Eyes like flame of fire can see right through all your hypocrisy and all your deadness and all your corruption. I can see it all. I'm walking amongst your church too. Treat like fine brass. But brass is made up of metals, copper and zinc, I believe, that have been heated in the fire. And Jesus was heated in the fire of the cross. He said, I've been there. I died for you, he said. And look what you're doing to me. Oh, he did do that, didn't he? We'll go to chapter 3, verse 1. What did he say to the church that saw this? <coughs> verse 1. <coughs> These things says he who has the seven spirits of God, I'll talk about that in a moment, and the seven stars. I know your works. I'm walking among you, so I do. I read your mind, what's in your heart, so I do. You have a name that you are alive. <laughs> That's your appearance. Jesus often was in controversy with the Pharisees who know. And he said to them, you're whited sepulchres. What did that mean? Well, when people died, he put them standing up, actually buried in stone. And they put a white, like a whitewash, like a white mortar over limestone to expose what was there. They couldn't touch it. They dare not touch their body or be anywhere near it. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're whited sepulchres. Your dead men's bones inside you. Wow. Talk about piercing with a two-edged sword. That's what he said. And he said, that's what I'm saying to you, church. That's what I'm saying to you. What a thing. I know your works. Some of you have love. Some of you are mine. I know your service. I know your faith and patience. Chapter 2, 19 about the church of Thyatira. But you allow this woman Jezebel. What an Old Testament thing that is. What's Jezebel in the Old Testament? One who brought in false immoral worship of Baal from Lebanon into Israel and married King Ahab. Corrupted the whole nation. And God judged them. 
brought in the light of the prophet, of course. She calls herself a prophetess. Watch out for women who try to push leadership in the church. Sorry, friends. But this is what this is about. Yeah. Amen. Those are false. <clears throat> Not godly women. Well, this is someone who led this church astray and deceived them all and led them into immorality. And the Lord says, I see it all. I know what's going on. I'm watching. What did she do? Verse 20. She taught and beguiled crafty. My servants, you corrupted my people to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Same as Jezebel in the Old Testament, the days of Ahab and Elijah. He says, I see it all. Woo. What does the Lord say about it in verse 24? Verse 24. Same church, Thyatira. But to you, I say, that is to those who were faithful to the rest in Thyatira, who were my people. As many as do not have this doctrine, this evil teaching from Jezebel, and not known the depth of Satan, which that is, of course, the destroyer. And she was attempting to destroy this church. I will put on you on no other burden. You people who are faithful to me in the midst of all this, I'm not going to burden you with any more. You've got enough to deal with. And all know, he knows what they go through and he encourages them, strengthens them. That is the church there, Thyatira. This is where major apostasy really did begin to develop in a strong way. All right, Sardis. Next one, chapter 3, verse 1. What did the Lord say to the leader of this church? Pass it on to the church. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God. Now you find that spoken of elsewhere. The seven spirits of God. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit. Now when we get into this church, I'll explain that. It's the seven characteristics of the Lord, the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. I'll go into that when we get to the church. So I'll leave that for now. I'm only dealing with the main headlines, if you like, of what the Lord is saying. Chapter 3 and verse 1. I know your works. You have a name that you rely, but you're dead. That's the dead church of Sardis. What do you say to the church in Philadelphia? Oh, that's very helpful. Chapter 3, verse 7. These things says, He who is holy. First time he's mentioned that. Who is true? He who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts. It shuts in the whole open. I'm sovereign Lord, he says. I'm in control of the church and the world. And I'll lead you out to be my witnesses, which was a great commission, of course. I give you an open door and no man can shut that. But I'll tell you something, he says, I'm going to shut some doors you can't open. And that's true today. Something here to encourage the believers. I know your works. I'm watching it. You're faithful to me. You're serving me. You might even be suffering for me. Well, you're serving me. You may have hard times in your witness. But you're still serving me. And I notice. And I'll bless you. So I set before an open door. Evangelism. No one can stop it. It's the Lord's open door. We're just called to be witnesses. We can't save anybody. We can wait for somebody else. Waters it. God reaps the increase. So he gives them their real commendation here. But let's move on to their faithfulness. Well, go back to Ephesus. What did he say about them? Second column. Their faithfulness. Well, there's a lot of this. Uh, in verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience. I know. I know your faithfulness. I know you've tested those who are apostles in chapter 2, verse 2. You've tested the false apostles and you know the distinction between what is true and what is false. You know my word and what I say about apostasy. What about the false apostles? And they're still around today. They are evil. You know it, they're evil. You've tested them. You put them to the test. You, you challenge them. Those who say they're apostles, well, they're not. 
And you find them to be liars, and so do I. In verse 2. And 3. You persevered. You've been patient. You've labored for me, for my name's sake. And you haven't got weary from it either. What a challenge that is, isn't it? Look down to verse 6. You hate the Jews and the Nicolaitans. I'll explain Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans are just brethren. It's those who try and lord it over by religious leadership. Mm-hmm. Now, they're godly bishops. I'm not knocking them off. But those who have no right to be in leadership are in leadership. Mm. I won't say any more than that. <coughs> Going on down. Church of Smyrna, chapter 2, 9 and 10. He knows their works, their troubles, their poverty and so on, everything else. I know that, he says. So the, some of them are Jews, but they said these that they are of the synagogue of Satan, they're not mine. That's a strong word, isn't it? Some of them are like that. They oppose Christian missionary work, especially in Israel. They have anti-missionary meetings in Israel. And the Lord says, I know, but you press on, he says. And verse 10, now here's something I've just briefly mentioned. Do not fear any of those things that you're going to suffer. Actually, telling people they're going to be martyred before the day comes. What you're about to suffer, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. You may be tested. You'll be have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. What happened? I've quite this. We do this when we get to this church. Some of them were arrested because they refused to worship the emperor and burn incense to him and bow down to an effigy of the emperor. And they refused. They were put in prison. First day they came out, do that. No. Second day, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, ninth day, wouldn't do it. Tenth day, you bow down, you burn incense to the emperor, you acknowledge him as God. And your emperor, or you'll be beheaded. You can see in chapter 2, verse 13, about the church of Pergamos, one man's name, Antipas, chapter 2, 13. Antipas, this is where Satan's throne is. And this man, Antipas, faithful martyr, he went through it. He was killed among you. Mm. See, when the church is married to the state, the devil really gets in mm. over centuries. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll leave that one out. Go to Sardis, chapter 3, and verse 4. What does it say about them? Oh, he knows them through and through. Chapter 3, where you have a few names, right? In the dead church, you've got a few. That's the Reformation few, prophetically speaking. But literally, then too. Even in Sardis, even there in the dead churches, a few are faithful to me. You have not denied my name. You have not defiled your garments. You have not been soiled by their their evil and deadness. Has an effect to do? And they shall walk with me. There is your reward. Well, we deal that when we get there. Walk with me in white, in purity, in righteousness, in godliness. You have not been tainted, but they are worthy. And we'll get there. That's uh, their faithfulness, you see. Oh, Philadelphia, chapter 3, 8. I know your works too, he says. And you say, I've got an open door for you. I've mentioned that already before. And you have not denied my name, not the rest of You stood up, stood firm, in the light, in a dark place. But Philadelphia, you're a good church. You're an evangelizing church. You're my witness. Go down to uh, verse 10, first part of verse 10. You kept my command to persevere. I will also keep you. From the tribulation is going to keep us. More about that when we get to that church. Laodicea, no comment. They were not faithful, rotten. Well, their failings go back just quickly. We must go through this quickly. Time's getting on. Their failings in the in the third column. Ephesus, what was their failings? Chapter two and verse four of Ephesus. You left your first love. You've gone cold. That first generation were on fire for the Lord. Paul wrote a wonderful letter to the first generation of Christians. 
Ephesians. Rich letter. His second generation lost it. You see, second generation, third generation, all got the walk new and fresh for the Lord. Go back on, depending on history. Now, some churches have had a very, very good reputation, even here in Bournemouth. I won't mention them. They've had a very good reputation in the past. They're not like that now, but they're still living on that. You can't live on a past reputation. What are you today? That's what the Lord's saying, because I watch it all. So, there's the failings of this church. Any failings in the church this morning? No. No criticism, whatever. I pray for the Martyr Church. What about Pergamos? Well, 14 and 15. Chapter 2. I have a few things against you. Those who hold the doctrine of Abedim, that is deceit and corruption, saying evil things, and that God spoke through Abedim, blessing on Israel instead of cursing. You know that when we get there. Uh, things went really wrong in Israel then too. So that's uh, their failings. Church at Thyatira, chapter 2 or 20. They allowed this from Jezebel to come in. They allowed it. Why do people allow evil and falsehood and apostasy to come into a church which is good? But you have another pastor coming in. It's not like the one they had before. Why not? They should have tested them out. Amen. Don't allow anyone into a pulpit you've not known all about their doctrine. Very important. Things can change with the wrong man in responsibility. One of the problems, of course, of one-man ministry. That is a problem. So there it is. Go to Sardis, chapter 3, verse second part of verse 2. I've not found your works perfect before God. Of course they were, they were dead. That's it there. Did he have any criticism of the failings of the Church of Philadelphia? No, none at all. He encouraged them all. Were there failings of Laodicea? Oh, let's look at that. What a sad end. Chapter 3 at the end, 15 to 17. I know your works. You know the cold or hot. I don't know what to do with you. I wish you were one or the other. I know what to do with you. You're lukewarm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. You say you're rich? You think you're wealthy, do you? No. You say you need nothing at all? Overconfident? Self-opinionated? Proud? Arrogant? Don't you know you're in my sight? You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 17. The Lord says, I walk among the church. I know what is like. I'm telling you. What about the warnings? Next column. Be very quick on this. The warnings to remember in chapter 2, verse 5 through Ephesians. Remember where you were, from where you were for. Remember what you were like on fire in that first generation. Remember where you were. Get back there. Remember what that was like. Repent and do the first works. Get back. Or else I'll remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, I will not allow a false witness. I'll take you out and the church will cease to exist. I've met that. I've seen church burdens being knocked down. Well, there's no warnings to remember in the church of Smyrna because they're a faithful martyr church. Pergamos, chapter 2, verse 15. What did you say? You hold the doctrine of Nicolette. You, sub- you allow men to come and lord it over you in spiritual leadership. Dictate to you. They have no right to do it. I'm the Lord. I'm the head of the church, not them. Watch out, Archbishop. Remember that, he says. And verse 16, repent or I'll come and fight against you. With the sword of my mouth, my word, I'll fight against you. I'll raise up someone in the church who will denounce you. Wish that was so today, you know. Thyatira, what does he say to them? We've got this woman Jezebel. Oh dear. Warnings there. I gave her time to repent. Verse 21. What does the Lord do then? 22. I'll cast into a sickbed. 
and those committed adultery into great tribulation. Sad end there. Warning to remember. Remember there. Sardis chapter 3, 2 and 3 quickly. I know your works, he says. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. That's a very good message to preach today. Strengthen the things that remain. They're weak. Strengthen it. Make it strong again. Why is that needed today? We well, said that to a dead church. After that came the Reformation. They were watchful. They were stronger. They were there. Verse 3. Remember where you have what you received and heard. Remember what you've been told in the previous generation perhaps. You hold fast and repent where you are now. There is not much call to repentance in the church. Jesus says in these instances, repent, repent. Previous church and this one. Repent. Make a difference. Change the direction. Get back to me. Say sorry for an neglect and sin. And then walk with me afresh. There's not a call to repentance today. Funny thing, I know some of us watched uh, Wayne Edwards. His ministry last Sunday was actually a call to repentance to the church. How fresh. How refreshing. Warnings to the church at Laodicea. Because there's no warnings to the church of Philadelphia. They were good faithful. Laodicea. Warnings there. Oh boy. This is something. 16 to 19. I have to be quick about this one. You're lukewarm. But you think you're rich, wealthy, and so on. But you're not commented on that. And he says, so those. So I'm going to expose the shame of your nakedness. Without my righteousness to clothe you. And you need to see things properly. I will go into the meaning of our psalm now when we get there. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. There it is again. Another word, repent. Third one. They needed to do that. Whether they did, we don't know. But there's a reward for those who are here. Challenges. Chapter 2, 7. Just quick. Chapter 2, verse 7. Whoever overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life that is in the midst of the paradise of God. You're going to be blessed in my presence. I'm rewarded in my presence. To Smyrna, chapter 2, 10 and 11. Do not fear what these things are coming to you. <coughs> I'll give you the crown of life, the end of verse 10. For those who are martyrs, martyrs crown, crown of life. He who overcomes shall be not hurt by the second death. They might experience the first death in martyrdom, but not the second death in the lake of fire. At the great white throne. You'll not get that because you're mine. Down to verse 17 of chapter 2. To this church. What do you say to them? He who overcomes. There's a word again. Overcomes. Chapter 2, 17. I'll give some hidden manner to me. I'll give you my secret ministry to you. One to one. To feed you. In a compromising church. You're mine. I'll feed you. Even there. As you read my word and pray to me. I'll give you a white stone. It says stone of victory. Your name's written on it. No one knows except you. Well, we'll comment on that when we get there. Blessings, isn't it? Challenges and rewards. Well, what about those in Thyatira of all places? Chapter 2, 24, 25. Those who have not known the depths of Satan, I'm not going to burden with any other problems. He who overcomes, verse 26, oh, verse 25, hold fast what you've got till I come. That's the word for today. Hold fast till I come, yes. Mm. 26. He who overcomes, keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. He's going to rule kings and priests with God over the nations in the millennium. What a reward, my friend. What about the church of Sardis, chapter 3, verse 5? He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot his name out from the book of life. Of course he won't. It's there forever. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He says, those who honor me, I will honor. I'll talk to my father about you. Oh, wow, wonderful. Chapter 3, 12, to the faithful church. 
He overcomes, there's a word again, he overcomes chapter 3, 12, Philadelphia. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, make him strong. You've got to stand up and be strong. All this may crumble, but not you. I write in him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, my, and the new Jerusalem. Oh my, I've got to rule there for the Lord. I write on him my new name. Oh my, that's a privilege of being an overcomer. I'll put my own new name. I don't know what that is. He knows. We don't. We're going to write it on. That's a real intimate union with him, that means. A real intimate union with him. Well, that's uh, chapter 3 and verse 12. The last one. Laodicea, let's look at that. Chapter 3, 16. They're lukewarm. They'll hop the cold. 20 and 21. Here's a promise and reward. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, even the Laodicea, I'll come in. If they open the door, I'll dine with him, I'll fellowship with him, and he with me. And to him who overcomes, even there, in huge apostasy, a few believers, even there, he says, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne as I sat down on my father's throne when I overcame. Father's throne is in heaven. Jesus' throne is in Jerusalem. That's his throne. David's throne. We'll worship him who lives forever and ever. That's what we'll do. We'll worship the Lord, faithful believers. That's where we are. And verse 21, as I overcame, you overcome. I overcame and I'm with my father. And you overcome, you're going to sit with me on my throne. There's promise and reward. A reward can be a negative one, like made us here. But to believers, even there. Well, I tell you that that's like an analysis of these two chapters. We'll look at them in detail and it's worth it later on.